Welcome to the Garden of Eden podcast. I'm your host, Ami Eden. Stay locked in for the ride because this is where ideas grow. Cheese! Come on. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to the Garden of Eden podcast, everyone, um, where ideas grow. And uh, we're here today with, you know, another one of my old friends, like this guy I've known for quite a while, on and off, he's been in and out in my life, but we still seem to find a way to keep touching and um, see what each other's doing. And and on my side, Omar, I have to say, your journey has been very interesting to me because you've taken a lot of different um, like routes from, from, from what I remember, like from going to uni to after uni and now into the position that you're in, which is um, digital producer at BBC Click. Um, so for those of the people that are, that are listening and um, don't know what it is you do, could you give them like a brief elevator pitch of, of what it is you do and 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 how you add value to the BBC. Ah, it's cool. I mean, it must have been time, man, since I talked to you. Because, like, I mean, last time we played was like a couple of years ago, football. So I ain't talked to you since then. I've done. Yeah. Like, the thing is, like, being at the BBC and being at Click, uh, I've I've elevated a little bit. So basically, mm. for everyone that don't know, Click is uh, a tech show that goes out on the BBC. It goes on news. Well, it goes on all around the world. Mm. And uh, we go around the world, around the UK, looking at the latest tech and whatever. And my job, uh, I initially went there as, yeah, as you said, a digital producer, as a researcher. And, you know, my job was primarily like looking at things, whether or not it can work for the show, um, you know, producing packages and, you know, editing mm. things for online on the BBC website. Now, since I last talked to you, I've uh, changed a bit. So now, okay. man, you know, Filming, uh, editing, producing, directing, and now presenting as well for the TV Mm. show. Mm. So that involves, you know, me spending most of my time, you know, scripting or being in front of camera or being behind it, Um, you know, talking to a bunch of people, you know, in the tech space and, you know, finding out what's what. Um, And yeah, it's it's been quite good. I've had a good boss in the sense that, you know, even though I'm I'm a researcher level at the BBC, in these media organizations, you know, sometimes you get, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a glass ceiling, you know, sometimes you're limited by your, your, your role or just, you know, maybe some other factor, which I'm sure we'll get into. But my mm. boss has been quite good where he's been giving me chances and he said, yeah, you can try directing. Yeah. You can try presenting or whatever else. So now I am where I am and I'm happy. Yeah, man. I mean, that's like coming on to what you were saying. That's one of the things that I noticed quite a lot. Like, um, in in your journey, because I, I remember when you were telling me you were um, so so a, a bit more context for those listening. Omar and I used to play a lot of football together, so we had this um, power league group that ran for quite a number of years. You know, like it had a yeah. good and I told you, listen, everyone listen here. Yeah, this is way before the days of WhatsApp group chat. This was when one man or a couple man would text like loads of people asking if they could play on a random day and then whoever texts back first gets in. So sometimes you'd be there, you text, you're like, shit, did I make the cut? And, and sometimes it would be like 13 people text back. So if you were 13, you didn't make it or it'd be like 15 or, or whatever. 
Um, so we did that for quite a few years, and and I remember. Um, so so Omar used to be the designated driver to pick me up a lot of the time. That's why I made the games, man, because I could drive. Uh, that's it. Not for my playing ability. <laughs> I'd, pick, I'd pick you. I, I mean, I was decent. No, you, you, you picked up. You picked up over the years, though. You, you improved. You improved a lot. Yeah, man. You improved a lot. Um, <laughs> wow, man. Time changes. But yeah, one, one of the things that happened is we obviously had quite a lot of conversations and and I remember when you started off, um, you were at the BBC Asia Network, right? And I think you were telling me about working there and then obviously advancing to pick. And, and I even remember you mentioning going to different um, places in the world, which we'll, we'll get onto. But what I have noticed is you, it, it always seems like you're stretching that bit more and obviously now presenting. And I've seen a couple of the things you've, you've done re- recently, which we'll definitely get onto too. Um, <laughs> but one of the one of the things I really wanted to touch on, because um, obviously you did English at uni, and if I'm not mistaken, masters as well. Yep. Yeah. So, I, I and then to add even more context too, is the fact that so out of that group of boys that played football, you know, most of us went to the same school, and typically well actually ironically there were quite a lot of engineers in that group of people <laughs> a lot of engineers me included uh, yeah. or, or people doing um various kind of like well to do subjects quote unquote um and you know i didn't at the time necessarily know you as a guy who was interested in like gadgets or games or like computers or that tech world so had that always been something you were interested in anyway, or was that just something you'd learnt to, you, you'd become aware that, oh, right, right actually, actually like this. Um, this. This stuff is really interesting. Can I get paid for it? Like, what was the process? <laughs> um, no, man, I was a teenage boy. Of course I was, like, interested in games and computers. It's a standard, isn't it? It's just, I don't know, I'll tell you what, I, I went into uni not knowing what I want to do and you know initially I did economics while I was in my first year and then I said ah this is shit I don't like it it's you know boring or whatever else I dropped out and then I you know went in the next year and I did English liked it I said ah all right I'll do this as a master's because I can't find a job with a with an undergrad (laughs) if I can do it postgrad and postgrad nah it weren't happening um and do you know what it was not too far along after my postgrad that I actually started working for the BBC and that happened I'll tell you what man it is this is the thing a lot of people that I know that work in the Beeb now you know they either did a journalism degree you know something specific to get into the industry or you know uh, mm-hmm. through connections they were able to get in and it, with me it was you know a little bit like that and a little bit of a fluke because my mum's a makeup artist you know she's mm-hmm. a big one in the Asian industry like a lot of people know her and so on the Asian network, they got her on to talk about what she does and stuff. Mm. And then after they got her on, they were like, ah, you know, she's quite mouthy. That's sick. You know, let, let's get her on more to, you know, on our debating hours. They'd have like an hourly debate. Okay. So they got her on, you know, on radio and stuff. And then there was one day where she was in the study, like on the phone, like debating something about raising kids. And I'm, I think, 17 at this one. It's like, you know, summer after the first year of a-levels mm. and i walk in and she's like yeah no i raised my kids and we're like this and i think she's chatting to a mate so as she's talking <laughs> i go no you're chatting shit like, and, and i start disagreeing with her <laughs> and you know that 
that fucking, you know, the, the mum look where she's just like, like that. Oh, you fucked yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm going to like die if you don't exit out of this room right now. So I'm, I'm just going to go. So I ghosted. And then, you know, about five minutes later, I get a call. And it's the, you know, radio. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to swear while on air. Whatever's like, no, 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 no. It's cool. Just, you know, can you come on air? So I'm in one room on the phone and my mum's in the other and I'm debating her on national radio. And that was how it started. And they were like, ah, this kid's just as mouthy as his mum. Let's get Mm. him on. So I'm that, you know, young Muslim student who's interested in politics, economics, society, you know, studentship. And I I thought, uh, they thought, all right, cool, let's get him on and on. And that carried on for years. And while I was through uni, Mm. And over these years, you know, I got to know them better. You know, I knew a few of their names, like Kieran and Sedge and uh, Sunil and whatever else. And it ended up being the case that soon after I finished uni, they knew I was looking for a job. They knew I couldn't find mm. a job because man did, you know, postgrad English lit. You ain't going to get a job unless it's academia or something mm. like that. Yeah. So it was a real struggle. And, you know, I was quite disheartened. But then, like, they organised this work experience for me for a week to cover... Mm a guy who couldn't do his shifts he was on holiday mm-hmm. so i went there i did the work experience it was literally just answering the phones like they, they had the debating i would answer the phone take the point down pass it on to the producer that's it um okay. but i i, I grafted I, I showed off a lot of my enthusiasm a lot of you know ah you know we could do this oh i'm so excited to be, and they were like yeah it's cool we like that energy it's nice to have someone fresh mm. so they hired me as a freelancer and from there, I started, you know, I kept on doing that job, but then I was also editing little digital videos or, you know, sometimes coming up with a couple of guests for the show. And then after a year and a bit of working there, I moved to Click and then it just exploded. So I had mm. no idea I was going to work in tech or journalism. I had no desire to. To be honest with you, man, I'm, you know, I'm flying right now. I'm doing well. Uh, mm, I still mm. don't know. Let them so know, man. Let them know. You're doing yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I'll fix it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's going all right. It's going all right. I can't complain. Like I've, I've, you know, recently, you know, practically presented a whole show of Click uh, and, you know, never thought I'd do something like that. Even now, I still question myself. And, you know, to anyone out there who's, mm. you know, going to uni or to, who's got a job at the moment, are still wondering, ah, is this for me? It's calm. You know, I, I, you know even mm. though I'm doing well, you're still going to ask yourself those questions. But mm-hmm. the, to answer your question after going on for ages, uh, yeah, back then I had no idea I was going to do what I was going to do. It was literally just like an interest that you've got when you're a teenager. You, you like games mm-hmm. and computers and shit. That's it. So mm-hmm. I could not predict where I was going to be. I mean, same with you. I'm sure, you know, with what you're doing at the moment. and <sighs> You had no idea, yeah? Yeah, bro. It's, 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 a, it's a similar story. I think, like you... Like, I, I, from young, I've always been interested in other people, having conversations, finding out people's stories, because then it means you can, you can write good stories yourself, because you've got source, good source material to, to take from. And then also just, I guess, understanding what, like, the possibilities and what, what you're able to do. So, yeah, for me, like, going from engineering now to, like, doing marketing, doing fucking podcasts and, like, writing um books and shit like it's 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 mad it's just mad um so I I really I really resonate with that um and one thing I also 
like would would like to find out for you, from you because it's something that I experienced um, before I went into this job that I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Is okay. So you you worked at um, BBC Asia Network for just over a year, um, freelancing, like you said. So I guess maybe there wasn't as much pressure. So when you get called up now and it's like, okay, BBC Kicks coming in for you. Did they? Did you apply or did they come in for you or what was like? What what was happening there? Just well so to be honest with you there was a a journalist called Katrin who used me in one of her like she did a panel full of Muslims from different uh, sects and beliefs Mm -hmm. to talk about ISIS sure and uh, after she got me in for that it was like you know maybe three years after I started working for the BBC so you know me and her caught up you know and she's great you know once she sees someone that she likes and she thinks let me help them along she does and so she got me a couple of shadow shifts at the Vic Derbyshire show. Uh, and then she said, hey, you know, one of my good mates is uh, Simon Hancock at Clinton. Uh, I'll, I'll do you an intro and then see if you've got any freelance shifts. So I did. I went and had a chat with him. Uh, he had no freelance shifts, not for someone like me who was very low skilled, like especially looking at the team today, I can understand why. But he said to me, oh, we've got a, a round of jobs coming, um, you know, and your entry level basically it'll be good if you apply for that and see where you go and to be honest with you i, I did my oh, flipping hell I, I mean i hope my bo- boss don't watch this but uh, <laughs> the interview the interview happened on the day you remember there was that stabbing on westminster bridge like a few years ago westminster bridge westminster bridge no. Maybe, maybe. Oh, whether there was a car as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that yeah. one. I remember that one. Yeah. That yeah. was a busy day, and that was the day on my interview. Now the thing is, um, I did a bit of reading of Click beforehand, very, very minimal. Uh, I never. <laughs> I really. You can admit, you can admit that now, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, one, no one can come for your head now. <laughs> I was being a bit sheepish about it. Now nah, I'll own it. I, I've got the job with minimal effort. <laughs> nah, it's. Honestly, I, I, I did a, a bit of reading. And to be honest with you, I didn't know how to prepare for the board. No one really taught me. I, I went to talk to one of the team members a few days beforehand. Bless him. I love him. But, you know, he talked for ages. Um, but th- there wasn't much that I could get from there of what I'd actually be asked in the interview. So right. I thought, okay, let me find out a bit more about the show and whatever else. And I did. And then on the day of the interview, about 10 minutes before it was going to happen, uh, I, I lost track of time. I was like, oh, there's been a stabbing. I'm working on that. But then all of a sudden, ah, job prospect. So then I started yeah. watching Click. It was the first time I watched Click. I watched Click for seven minutes uh, before my interview. <laughs> I grabbed a couple of names. I remembered them. And then I went. <laughs> and I honestly, it was not a good way of doing it. And I went to my interview. And it was my boss there, my deputy now deputy and he clocked on my boss see the thing is uh my deputy is very clued on and you know alan he he could tell yeah oh, that's this is not someone well prepared. he smelt the bullshit he smelt the bullshit from he far did. away he did it was to be honest like i said i did you know a bit of research and stuff i didn't know how to prepare so when i came in they were looking for content ideas i never knew i had to bring ideas of what they could possibly do on the show i thought it was just about you know, how could you transform the show, the social media approach? And those are the things I focused on and studied. Mm. So um, afterwards, my boss called me like the next day and he said, listen, you. 
every episode. There and oh, frozen. Ooh, sorry, sorry, bro. I just cut out there for a second. If you, nah, nah, nah. It's cool. So your boss, I'm you good. said your boss called you, and he he spoke to you. He spoke to me and he sugarcoated it. He said my interview was okay, and I was like, okay. But he was like, I still need a little bit more from you. Can like you've got one minute? Convince me that I'm gonna give you this job. I cannot for the life of me fucking remember what I said. I just like I honestly poured my heart out and then he was like, All right, cool, I'll give you the job. And I I, I was ecstatic. And it was only like, you know, maybe a year later when I interviewed for an internal job at Click, uh, and, and then the job to make it permanent that I realized, wow, I, I really didn't prepare as much as I needed to because I had no idea how to. Wow. And and my deputy actually came out to me and he said to me, Yeah, your first interview was shit. Like, I would not have hired you. Wow. It's because of my boss, like, trusting me. And, yeah. you know, he, he went by his gut a little bit as well. I mean, I scored mm. enough points on the interview basis, but it was between me and someone else, and I just edged it. So um, that's the thing. It, with the BBC or wherever you go, mm-hmm. there's going to be some bureaucracy. There's going to be some, you know, boxes that you're going to have to tick in the interview, certain keywords, certain values that you have to bring up and whatever else. Mm which is absolutely fine. Um, but you've, you've got to let yourself shine through. And even though I was nervous during an interview, um, my boss had talked to me enough beforehand and even afterwards to know that, you know what, this kid is someone who's enthusiastic. He's got a lot of ideas. He will give his all for the job. And you know what, uh, I've tried to repay him back since that day. And I'm hoping he thinks I have, you know, I'm doing well enough. So... Yeah, it's it was a funny one that was, but I'm where I am now. As a yeah. that's such a sick story, man. I think um, you know those those moments people talk about where an opportunity presents themselves. They're not quite ready. I mean, maybe in your case, you could have you could have watched more of BBC Kick. Maybe not seven minutes before the interview, but you know, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, I think yeah. it's a great um, point about seizing opportunities while they're there. Um, and I guess as well, because e- even though you might not give yourself as much credit for it, this, maybe you do, um, but like you obviously must have had a certain energy to you. And then also you'd, you'd done some things within the BBC anyway before that kind of gave you enough for them to call you and say, listen, I'm, gi- I'm giving you another chance because I felt something from you and maybe that's the most important energy to have for people when they're um embarking on a new endeavor that they're not quite sure about they're uncertain about especially in the creative industry which is super subjective like there's i mean yes you have metrics like numbers retweets and likes and all this stuff but ultimately it's very subjective um and with that then it, it means intuition becomes quite a big factor so I guess having that energy going in is is um, is really important. Um, and one of the things I was going to bring up um, a little bit earlier, but I'll, I'll talk on now is uh, so you get you get the job for BBC Click, and obviously you know that's your gas. You're thinking, yeah, man, I'm in now. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. But then it's like, oh, yo, you got a job to do. So tell me what was like. What were the things that daunted you or worried you that you were anxious about when you first step in and you realize oh this is what I'm gonna have to do oh like rah you know 
um, these are the things I have to fulfill. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. What, what were those things for you starting off? I think uh, it was like two main things. One of them was just how much I had to do for the show in terms of it was a massive step up from what I usually do. So, you know, in a very short amount of time, I was picking up a camera. I was looking to produce a piece for the show. Um, like two months after I joined, I'd never produced a piece before. Um, and it was just, you know, it was very much a, you know, sink or swim kind of environment. Everyone was there and helpful. You know, I've got to say that, you know, the, the people mm -hmm. at Click are very helpful. And if you ask them a question, you know, they're more than happy to help you. But then at the same time, um, you know, you've got to quickly adapt and pick up a lot of skills. I mean, I've got to say, I was quite tentative because I was one of five people that joined. Uh, and this was the biggest amount of additions that they had uh, ever. So it was quite a big thing for the team. No one had knew had joined in about five years. And out of the five, I was the least experienced. I was, you know, the least skilled. And that was daunting in itself. And so it meant that they were doing a lot more than me a lot earlier on. They were developing quicker than me. Mm -hmm. And I, you know what? My boss, you know, has been honest about this. He said that after the first six months, he thought, you know what? Maybe, you know, he's not cut out for this. Because I only had like a one-year contract. So right. he was thinking, uh, maybe, maybe he's not, you know, this ain't the one for him. And it kind of ties in with the second thing that daunted me. You know, I had massive imposter syndrome. And you know what? I still do. You know, I'm surrounded by people who have been doing this for years, excellent journalists. You know, they know their editorial. Their output is just beautiful. Uh, what am I doing here? I'm, I still think that now. Um, mm. I, I was part of a scheme where, you know, a lot of young journalists were being mentored and they had this reception evening. And I went there and I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to meet other people like me. And then, they all turned up all suited and booted and they were like, yeah, I've got my NCTJ and I've got my degree in this and I've been doing this for so many years and I've done lives here and there. And I'm like, yeah, man, I did digital videos. Like, <laughs> 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 I, I actually left early. I, I felt very uncomfortable. Wow. Wow. Uh, what, how was, recent was this, by the way? Was this that, that, that was two years ago. I mean, I clicked okay. for three years. That was about two years ago two and a half years yeah. ago and I and, and to be honest with you I still hate networking events I still can't do them um I, I don't I don't like showing off and I don't like you know I, I like I said imposter syndrome you know you feel like you don't mm. fit in and you know what it was after that that I kind of just you know after having a chat with some people close to me um you know especially one person they were just like you know and they gave me the best piece of advice they were just like fuck it fuck it all don't just don't think about it. If you think about it too much, you're never going to do it. You're going to paralyze yourself with fear. Mm -hmm. You said to me, just have that moment of fearlessness, complete stupidity, complete brainlessness. Just throw yourself in there. 10 seconds, 10 seconds of brainlessness. Once you've thrown yourself in there, only then can you gain the courage to do those things. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It worked because my boss handed me a massive project. We were going to Vegas in that January, and, which was sick. Yeah, I can confirm. Like, we would yeah. do work. Most of my days is like 18-hour work days, but, you know, we go casino, mm. we have some drinks, you know. Yeah, here and, uh, here and there, you know. There's yeah. still six hours of the day that you got left to party, so you're in Vegas, man. You're sleeping, exactly. It's sick. Yeah. Uh, like, I've, I've been there like five, six times now for work. 
mental. Tell, because I, because I actually have this in my, in my, in my notes. You know, I have this in my yeah. notes for you, bro. I was gonna yeah. say, so that Vegas, um, those all those Vegas trips. What, what was, what was happening? What, um, was it like a convention or was it a, a massive conference? What, what, what was going on work wise? Yeah, no, it's so like in January, there's this massive convention called CES. Uh, it's like the world's biggest electronic show, in uh, you know. And in August, July, August, there's DEF CON, which is like a hackers conference. So every year, I went to both of these things, stayed there for a week, uh, especially with CES. What and even with DEF CON, what it meant is that we'd go there on a Saturday, uh, arrive, start working on a Sunday, we do like seriously like 12 to 18 hour days every day until like the thursday because we've got to film everything script it edit it send it back to london they put it together over here and that show goes out that weekend so literally no like i'd like to say i had a lot of fun but honestly the the work is grueling and that's what happened first time around like you know but for the preparation for my first vegas trip I just thought, you know what, I, I'm, I'm just going to take lead here. Like, screw it. Like, in the meeting, my boss said, oh, we need to do this and whatever else. And then I had that moment where I just thought, well, I didn't think. And I just said, yeah, I'll do it. No fucking clue how I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. No, well, I had, got, you know, some guidance from someone a bit more senior, but it was a lot to undertake. And, you know, a massive trip with a lot of money involved to, to take mm-hmm. responsibility for. Yeah. I did it, and I did it well. And my boss recognized how well I did. And he, after that, he said, you know what? Might hang on to this boy after all. And he uh, did. And I've, I've done the exact same thing each and every step of the way, whether it's presenting, my first time presenting, man, fuck. <laughs> one like set of lines, yeah? Like a good 30 words to memorize and to get out. It took me 45 minutes. It took about like 20 plus takes just to get my first piece to camera mm. and but again like i said yes to it even though i had no clue i was going to do it or whatever else and yeah i've recognized that that's you know what work is that's what journalism is i mean the many people across the industry and people that i've been honest with have been honest with me a lot of opportunities come by just saying yeah even though you're not going to know how to do it that's fine you know you've got to have the bravery to try something new and, and i've done that time and time again so that was the turning point for me. And as daunting as things can be, and as much as you may feel out of place, or like you're not on the same levels as others, so what? Fuck it. You're not going to be. You're going to get there one day, but you've got to at least make that first step. No matter what mm-hmm. you may think, no matter fear you have, make that step. Then you're going to roll. Most definitely, man. That leap of faith moment, slightly different. It's just like, you, you yeah, you just have to launch yourself in and believe that you'll figure it out on the way uh right you just have to think right fuck you you kind of in the back of your mind there's that voice going are you sure you want to do it but it's almost like i hear you but fuck you i'm doing this anyway and i'm gonna just i'll deal with the details later and then you know as you probably knew like that tuesday when you're in vegas you're probably thinking what have I got myself in on here? This is mad. How am I going to pull this one through? Jesus. I've still got all this stuff to edit. We've still got all these scripts to write. Like, we've still got to post-produce this. You know, I imagine there's all these different tasks and projects that you have to get done. 
and you think, oh, I'm overwhelmed, but eventually you, you make it through. And to be honest, you needed to do that. You, you said mm. you needed to do that to prove that you were up to, up to the task. So that's sick. I think that's, again, another good lesson for people who um, may dither because they're not so sure whether mm. something's for them. It's better to just have the leap of faith because then you know what if that happened if if you if you took the leap of faith and it didn't work out hey you got to do you had an experience you got to go to vegas there for we a go. week all there paid for go. like you got to go and see these mad conferences like the cs conference must be sick like i can imagine it must be hundreds of thousands sick. of people man honestly the, the shit that we see there is immense and you know what this is the thing and i've got to say i'm blessed i've got a team who even though I'm taking that leap of faith, if I've got a question, they'll answer it. You know, mm. you got that support. And, and this is the thing. There'll be moments along the way where you start doubting yourself again. Yeah, it's fine. Mm. Just get a hold of, you know, even if it's not someone on the team, get a hold of someone personal and just, you know, let it out, breathe, and then just dive right back into it. At the end mm. of the day, yeah, you know, it still takes a lot of work after that first leap of faith. But just yeah. do it. Do it anyway, mm. because you will and you can figure it out. You've just got to put the work in. It's just getting over your fear. Fear is, you know, the biggest limiter for some people uh, when, you know, you're battling things yourself. Obviously, there are a lot of external factors, but for that battle within yourself, fear is probably your biggest enemy. Mm. I think it's, uh, what, what's the acronym they have for fear? Fate, false evidence appearing real? Something like that. I know I that. A, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? I thought that was no, the most popular one. Yeah, false evidence appearing real. I always try to remember that when they when they come in. I think my, I was speaking to my mum the other day. Actually, she was telling me she read um, you know that book. I think is it Homo Sapiens? Is it that book? Homo Sapiens. Is it Homo Sapiens? It's one of the or Homo Deus or something. Like I, I don't even know. I can't remember who wrote it, but she was mentioning an interesting fact in there, and it said something like eighty um, percent of our thoughts are negative um like negative based on fears worries and anxieties but out of that 80 percent only uh i think it's something like 90 percent of those things don't even come into fruition like they just don't happen so it's yeah. just a waste of time really like <laughs> most of it is a waste of time and then of the 10 percent left 72 percent of those things we can actually deal with anyway so yeah. most of it is just not, it, it really isn't real. So I think that's, that's important to remember. Um, obviously though, uh, you know, you have that leap of faith moment and you know, you have that jolt of energy and it kind of, that kind of gives you the momentum to carry through. But obviously there, there is like, uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm quite interested in is how people, um, how people improve over time because, mm obviously those jolts of energy don't come all the time and you sometimes you have to intentionally um, allocate periods where you improve on certain skills so for yourself because obviously there's quite a lot of different skills that come with your job which um, which you said you didn't necessarily have before going in so what kind of things would you say you're proud that you have intentionally improved since working on the job and how did you do that um sounds so boring but timekeeping 
it's okay. especially with a job like click you have to juggle you know a number of projects on the go you can't just work on one thing exclusively and you lose track of t- i mean you know especially during lockdown man I-, I can very easily go past my normal hours and look up and it's like 11 o'clock at night or something and my boys are asking mm. me like why aren't you on war zone and i'm like hi <laughs> <laughs> um but it's it's timekeeping is a big thing because you know you you've got a i mean it's, it's going to contradict what i say because timekeeping you've got to be able to like separate and be like yeah those are my hours that's it done i'm going to spend this much time on this i'm going to try not to dither around you know you're going to lull sometimes uh you know allow for that but at the same time you know i mean you've got to have that space for yourself from your mental health but at the same time i've got to admit a lot of skills and a lot of things that i've improved in practically like filmmaking and editing and you know uh being creative and whatever else i've done in my spare time and I've done that because I enjoy the job, you know. Um, so, you know, if I did something I didn't enjoy, then I'm only punishing myself or trying to improve myself outside of that time. But, you know, I love you know, being creative. Like right now, I'm trying to make a showreel of everything I've done. Um, and I- I'm having fun yeah. with it. It doesn't feel like work. Um, so, you know, timekeeping's a big one. Knowing your limits, you know, knowing... Because you know, with my job, you know, you can very easily, like you said, you can have those lulls where you ain't got that spark. You ain't got that get up and go. That's calm. Accept it. You know, don't try and force it. Just own it. Say to yourself, I can have that because I've been like blitzing it lately. Don't mm. beat yourself up about it because I, you know, ended up one time. Uh, I went to LA to film at E3. Sick week. Jeez. Lots of work, man. Tell, tell us about E3 actually just quickly ah e3 is so i mean la is amazing it's really do you know how they say like new york is the like really hard place of america and um, you know la is a real soft place and it is because you know it's beaches it's you know um plastic surgery it's you know Mm. restaurants (laughs) and e3 was great because you know you see you see the games that you uh you grew up on you know big triple a tiles that you're excited for and whatever else mm. it's good but then at the same time and I, I hate to sound like you know a bit of a mizog but it, it ain't what you think so when watching e3 not last year but the year before i was you know obviously keeping up with all the highlights and stuff and the lives mm. i was ah oh, this is sick man this is coming out i can't wait oh, i wish i was there to to feel the magic Man, when you're there and you're working on TV and you're trying to turn that show around for that weekend, you ain't got time to feel the magic. You, <laughs> you just, you're, you're there filming all day, then you come back and you're editing until three o'clock in the morning because the news at six and ten want a piece. It's mm-hmm. grueling. And, and, but this is the thing. You've got to, every now and again, and I did this during LA, there was one day, it was a Thursday, I remember it very well. I was in the middle of the Nintendo hall. Man likes his Mario, his Pokemon and everything. And I was working so hard and, you know, so hectically that I didn't realize where I was. And so I, you know, after filming was done, instead of going back to the hotel, I took half an hour. I stood back, I put my gear away and I just walked and I just took in everything. And Mm. I... You know, like Luigi's Mansion, Pokemon, um, you know, Mario Olympics, like Zelda. And 
I get that feeling that I felt when I was a teenager. And, 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 you know, it's very easy to lose yourself and lose perspective, you know, when you're so mm-hmm. stuck in a job. And, you know, uh, it can be as light as something as E3 or it can be as something as heavy as migrants trying to sell their way to the UK and you're on a boat next to them trying to ask them if they're okay. Uh, oh, that's a, that's a pretty heavy topic at the moment. I like the way you, you segued that in there nicely. Omar, who's controlling this podcast flow? It's it? both of us. It's both of us. Oh, meta. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's calm, it's calm. No, that's um, it's it's something that I I think we probably would have talked of anyway. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's something I that I wanted to swing. It's that I wanted to swing to quickly, but you segued into it nicely. I can't lie. Um, do you think that's what's happening with some of the, the 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 way that it's being reported? It's it's almost like, oh, you know what? This is just one of my things that I, I look at in the, in the media industry in general. I feel like a lot of the time, and, and I'd love to hear your own opinion on it as well, yeah. there can be like a lack of empathy in the way things are reported. And, and there's almost like too much of a focus of, this is my profession, this is my job, this is what I get paid to do, rather than actually what you did in the Nintendo Hall, which is, take a moment, took 30 minutes, and you became just the human again and looked at the situation you're in. In the one you were in, rah, this is sick. Like, my t- ten, year, 10 years younger self is gassed that I'm here. What? I'm in <laughs> LA. And I'm, uh, this, is, this is amazing. And then on the flip side, with this particular situation, you do that and it's like, whoa. What is going on over here? So... Yeah, I always, I, it always strikes me that people or people in, in that particular profession where they're, let's say, on the ground reporters find it, at least to me, so easy to just switch off the humanity when, like, death or the potential of death is literally so close. Um, so I'd love to hear your opinion about, about that. The thing is... Like one of my passions for a story isn't just tech, but how tech affects people. So I've done stories on like a, a war, uh, war hero was you know couldn't find work when he got back and he went into coding. That was beautiful. Deaf, you know these uh, pair of Eritrean twins who were deaf, they felt music for the first time ever. They wore these haptic feedback shirts when going into a rave. Filming their reactions for the first time was beautiful. Wow. Human emotions and human elements to stories are you know key and it's you know that empathy that you feel whilst on the job and and just even as as a person that can help change the kind of output that we have and what the audience sees when it comes to you know the migrant votes and what happened there Mm -hmm. I, i i get why I get what they were thinking. I know what they were thinking. They were thinking, this is access. This is, you know, if we were in a war zone, we'd be on the ground with a, you know, flak jacket and reporting. This is something similar. I don't think it should have gone out. I don't think they should have, you know, sailed out to these, um, you know, migrants trying to literally risk their lives, you know, for survival. 
just to ask yeah. them if they're all okay and give them a little thumbs up. Like, you know, they right. don't want to know that. What does that offer us? You know, that, that offers nothing. It, it doesn't, you know, give us that humanity that you want from them. If you want to talk to them, talk to them when they land, you know, yeah. talk to them, find out their story. Don't talk to them as they're trying to flip in, take water out of the boat. You know, <laughs> there's too much uh, times of, you know, an, an obsession to, to get the access and get the pictures that no one else is going to get. Mm. And it's that loss of empathy that doesn't help. And, and the BBC has been in a few situations as well that, mm. you know, has been quite questionable as of recent. It happened with Kobe yeah. when Kobe died. They put out LeBron James. Man's got a different build, different head, beard. He's, you know, got his name on the back of his shirt. Of, um... I, I, it's just... And this is the thing, you know, when Nagamanchetti, you know, said something on air on breakfast, one complaint by one person had an investigation opened up about her, you know, talking about racism on air. When mm. the N-word was used twice. Yeah. Once in the report, once in the doc. You know, it took 18,000 complaints and Sideman quitting his gig. Yeah. For there to be an apology and even before that there was a defense when you look at the report and i've spoken about this with a number of people just generally at the end of the day if you're going to say uh they racially abused this boy yeah they, they were throwing racial slurs at him i know what they were saying you know what they yeah. were saying we all do you don't mm-hmm. need to say the word don't. there's no justification the family did not give you a pass to say that word that means you've got to use it nah just mm-hmm. you know this it's not it's not something that's supposed to be said you ain't gonna get someone telling you not to say the word unless they are black unless you get someone who's working class telling you hey you know what you sent a reporter out you know to grenfell and you know he's suited and booted and he's talking to these people there's a bit of a disconnect maybe yeah. send something else the the representation of you know diverse backgrounds like you know they, they throw the word bame around or whatever else uh-huh. you know, which is contentious in itself but Definitely. any kind of person that is an ethnic minority or from a different religion or from a different class i mean they're looking at race at the moment yeah a lot of people mm-hmm. they ain't touching class like working class and that mm-hmm. unless you get these people into advanced senior editorial positions to affect your output and to make those big decisions and to look at what's going out there, you ain't going to get change. They, you know, many media organizations are hiring people from diverse backgrounds in lower positions where they can't mm-hmm. make that change. They are trying to build themselves up, but because, because of the glass ceiling that exists, you know, when it mm-hmm. comes to your race, when it comes to whatever, they ain't going to get in a higher position than what, you know, uh, perhaps a white person would or a middle class yeah. person would. That's just the way it is. It's not controversial to say it is the way it is. We need to do better. And until you put those people in those positions, you're going to have mistakes in your output. I mean, you know, saying the N word on air, I still do not understand. But I mean, I mean, how is it for you? I mean, you're, you're watching that. You're, you're yeah. seeing it on Twitter. How does it feel for you? Well, what, what does that say to you about the media organizations that are out there? So it's, it's funny because I'm actually writing a little piece about this uh, at the moment, which which will be out soon for everyone who uh, wants to read that on Blackprint Media. Shout out Blackprint. Um, so I'm going to be writing a piece on, on, on that. And 
you know, I'll just share some of my thoughts now. Um, firstly, actually, just to talk on you talking about people in positions, I think um, I agree with everything you said. And, and I think why it's important is because those people have the context of what is happening on the ground in all these different situations. So like you were saying, Grenfell, if the reporter that goes out to Grenfell is one of the mandem, the way the story or the, or the, or the, or the, the, the stories and the way those people connect with that person and then because of who that person represents the BBC is probably going to be a lot healthier and the stories that come out are going to be a lot more genuine and they're going to be a lot more transparent than if you have somebody who's not of that background going in there and not really connecting with those people not really getting their vibe um, and then you know you take that in loads of other different contexts like you were saying the other thing I do also have to ask, though, is are these things being done intentionally to spark uh, controversy? Because, because like, in my head, and, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm giving way too much credit to some of the organisations. And, and to be honest, knowing human nature, you know, systems are inherently flawed. Things can fall through the gaps. Like, it, it's very easy... There's no entity that has 100% control of every situation. Shit's going to happen. However, because of the frequency that, at least from my own personal experience, that I've seen it, like even, even with the, the M-word thing, like I, I, for me, it just fe it feels like, can we really, really chalk this all down to ignorance? That, that's, that's the question that I have in my head. Is it all ignorance? Because it seems to me, it, it seems too far-fetched for everything to be ignorance. But then maybe I could be wrong. And maybe like yourself, have it, being in the, in the organisation, you can actually be like, actually, no, nah, there's some people that just really do not get it. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, that, that's where my question is. Is it intentional? Because the ignorance seems too ridiculous to me at times. You know what? I asked myself the same question before I joined the BBC. And even now, while I'm at the BBC, even with this recent N-word thing, I thought the same thing. Nah, surely someone must have thought we should not say this. But you know what? Over the, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, media in general uh, and, you know, even in the BBC, and they are trying to, you know, like I say, bring in more people from different backgrounds that change isn't happening fast enough. And, you know, it's going to be a long-term thing. So in the meantime, the people who are, you know, middle-class, the people who are, you know, predominantly white, who may not connect with the same issues that me and you would, they are in these positions and they aren't exposed to the things that we are. They aren't, you know, exposed to the same ways of thinking. Some of them aren't on social media, so they don't even see the backlash. I've talked to a number of people, you know, uh, mm -hmm. across the BBC. They're either like you and me or they're either on the other end of the spectrum where they are someone who is just not connected or apparently, you know, uh, aware of it. Or, and these people, unfortunately, some of them are some in, the, in these positions. And this is the thing. I can't say, uh, you know, oh, you know, fuck them or anything because that ain't right at the end of the day they mm. are who they are and their experience is their own it's unfortunate that they are not as um you know what's the word exposed to what we are 
Mm-hmm. But I can't say that's any particular fault of their own. You know, there's ignorance and then there's just, you ain't going to come across that in life. Some people never do. Like, you know, one of my best mates, Matt, you know Matt. Yeah. Um, my guy did not experience racism uh, at all until we went to Berlin and we went on a train and this guy uh, picked a fight with a brown guy next to us simply because he was brown and he was calling him a bomber and everything. That was the first time I had ever seen racism. And we all got in a scrap as a result. Um, How old was he at this point? How old was he at this point? Yeah, Matt was 21, 20, 21. He was 21. And that was the first time he'd seen it live in the flesh. Yeah. Right. Man, I've talked to people that, you know, have admitted to me they've never met a person of colour until they went to uni. Because... They live in a village somewhere and, you know, they ain't going to, you know, find anyone that's, you know, of colour like me and you. Mm. So it is, at the end of the day, these people are people who are in these positions and they're not going to get it right each and every time. And their way of thinking won't reflect ours. And so they'll make decisions that they think, okay, editorially, it's justified and it's fine. But that sense of, you know, what will the people say is not there yeah. or what kind of backlash will we get from these, you know, minority ethnic communities. Mm-hmm. And so I can't say it's intentional. I, I can't because as much as, you know, I, I used to think, you know, uh, is it surely not? Unfortunately, these things do happen. Like even with the, the Kobe thing, you know, that, that was something that, as I later found out, you know, was a genuine mistake and it was a rush of time thing but even then you'd think if you had someone in the team who was you know at least interested in basketball if you see this is the thing i'm not even saying bring someone in who's you know if you're doing a story about, about a pakistani cricket bringing in someone in pakistani doesn't mean that you're going to get the right answer they yeah. may not be in cricket. you know check with a sports reporter you know check with someone you know who's into it. and unfortunately not all these things happen in the process mm. usually it's just okay we're confident this is the case and that's it and so <laughs> it, unfortunately these mistakes do just happen and you know mm. i've uh, i'm very very careful like even you know talking to yourself now I'm I'm careful about what I say because as much as I've got mm-hmm. to criticize the state of media in general, at the same time, I'm in it and I see it day to day. And I know the amount of good that happens. I know, you know, the people like my boss, for instance, my boss is someone who, you know, has lifted me and given me chances. And mm-hmm. you won't see another, you know, Pakistani guy um, working on shows like this as often as what I am. And that's just yeah. the way it is right now. Hopefully that will change. And I'm trying to help bring other people up as well. But this, these things take time. So, you know what? I, I do feel anger and I do feel disappointment whenever I see these things happen. But I've just got to remind myself, you know what? The, the change is slow. It's going to be a mm. slow grind. It's calm. You know, we'll, we'll try and speed it up where we can. But unfortunately, with the status quo, with you know, the way media is at the moment and the the majority of people in it that are predominantly white, that are, you know, a lot of them are middle class. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, you know, the majority output that we see is going to reflect that. Um, But we're getting more. We're we're getting, you know, uh, more working class people are pitching stories. They are Mm. seeing, you know, the other perspectives and things that are happening, you know, whether it be coronavirus or with Grenfell or whatever else. We are hearing from those people that otherwise wouldn't be heard. It's just, we, we've got to realise that, you know, it's going to be a slow change. So. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that as well. Change, change, 
especially when it's a change that's at such a deeply rooted psychological level for a lot of people. Um, and then even just on an experience level, like you were talking about um, you and Matt being in Berlin and, and that's the first time he's ever seen racism live in the fresh at, at, in his in early 20s. You know, before then, if you don't even have an awareness of it, it, it doesn't even seem real to you. And then that forms your opinion. Um, and I think, like we were saying earlier, those changes happening um, at the top level where decisions are made is where we'll start to see maybe those behaviours start to be purged and addressed within the wider society, which then informs their behaviour. And then we start to see that change slowly trickle out. Um, I'd be cu- I, I, I'm curious to see because I feel like we're in this kind of midpoint, right? Um, so w- what I mean to say is, obviously, uh, if we look at particularly like let's say London culture and like the multiculturalism of London has become quite popular in the UK for the first time ever really like if we if we look at the music scene and if we look at um even in like the 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 acting industry and we're seeing more people from various different backgrounds uh, working class backgrounds as well coming through and, and and doing very well for themselves and and actually influencing culture like you know you've got Stormzy telling ITV to suck their moms on Twitter and like he's saying that knowing it's going to have no effect on his career at all right Mm -hmm. so uh, I say that to say that there's a there's there's been a shift in terms of where things have have moved like power and, and in terms of affecting change and now I'm looking at the situation thinking, so is there more, are, are the gears going to shift more or is this where it, is this where it plateaus and, and stops? So I guess the only answer to that is seeing what happens over time. Um, but yeah, I think also the, the things that we can do is speak when we do see things where, for example, the N-word is reported on the news or the wrong image is used for a certain person or the way stories are reported aren't given the context um, yeah. by people actually, you know, of that situation or close to that situation. And instead, people are so far removed that really their opinion doesn't hold any weight because they have no valid experience of being in that situation. Um, I think us as, as, a, as a general community speaking on these things is where will be uh, facilitating that gear change. So, uh, yeah, exciting, exciting times ahead, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, man. Um, speaking of, like, exciting opportunities, bro, um, what, what kind of things, because uh, obviously to someone like me who's completely out of the media industry, I was, bro, I, honestly, I see you working at BBC and I'm like, Right, Omar, you're on big, big things now. Like this is, <laughs> this is, this is, this is like top tier level. So, what what kind of things have you worked on where you've looked back and thought, "Raw, this was like I'm so proud of that that I did there, uh, this opportunity that I did there that I never in a million years would have thought I'd have the opportunity to." Maybe it's some of the things you mentioned before, or maybe there's other kind of smaller things which 
may not seem as big on the outside, but you looking at it think, actually, no, this was this was really big for me to do. What what kind of things uh, would you would you look at? I guess. I mean, like you got the obvious ones. My first report that went out, seeing myself on TV for the first time, um, doing my first lead piece for Click, that was something. Presenting my first show, which you know happened not long ago. Mm. Um, I think the the evening, the the best shoot I've ever had, is one that's got nothing to do with me. I'm not presenting. Got nothing to do with anyone else in the team. It was those Eritrean twins. It was the Deaf mm. Twins who um, were just, you know, I mean, it was on, um, it was near flipping O2, you know, uh, and we're on that bank. There was a club there and they've got like, you know, the right on the river, like there, mm. and opposite is Canary Wharf. And I remember the shots were beautiful, but the shooting was immense and I was really proud of my shooting. But I think that the, the thing that really touched me and the thing that I want to help get across in the future with my reports you know given yeah my background my my my, my color my religion um is to help people who don't have a voice have a voice i mean that they mm. these girls were deaf you know they they didn't talk they, they were using sign language and mm. just seeing their faces as they were walking through for the first time and their reaction to the shirt suddenly moving you know with the music like up here you had the treble and you had the bass over here and the, wow. the whatever high tones and shit and that was just watching them in amazement just filled me with joy because there are moments like that that are just so rare I, I remember like another episode that clicked on a girl who was like mostly blind she wore these glasses she was practically blind she wore these glasses and they you know used um, ai or something to you know put outlines on objects and she could see through them and she like for the first time in years she could see and the presenter um spencer he cried on stage it was a very very powerful moment how mm. these things how tech and how just you know whatever it may be in the future that i work on whether it be in the tech space health space whatever how this can affect people's lives what it means to those individuals how we have the power to put their voices on air to, to show everyone else around the world the experiences that they'll never have and, and it kind of ties back to what we were talking about about you know a lot of people in the industry not being of color not having those experiences you know i think the most important thing is being and it rolls back to what we we're talking about originally being empathetic being mm -hmm. you know not just saying oh it doesn't happen to me so it doesn't exist opening up your mind to the idea that other people, you know, have different experiences. At the end of the day, everyone has their own shadow. And in that shadow are things that we'll never see. You know, it's completely black. And those are things that they will only truly understand. We can at least see into their world. We can hear the things that we never thought we would hear. You know, see the things that we never thought we would see. And think the things, the things that we never thought we'd think. Mm. Broadcast has such an amazing power to change people's lives to to show others out there you know what we're going through what other people are going through mm. and that moment i just i stood back at one point i turned off the camera and i was just watching them dance and i you know just just well up of emotion 
Um, and then after the shoot was done, um, the thing is, because you get so busy, I don't know if it's with anyone else or with yourself, but you know, you kind of just go on autopilot and you, you go through the day, you don't realize where the time's gone, but also you, you're half not taking in things. You, you ever get that? Yeah, like you, you're, you're, you're running an autopilot. You're just like, okay, I'm on to the next thing. Just like, you, you just live it. You're not really <clears throat> taking in the moment. Yeah. I, yeah. I took in the moment then. I, I stood mm-hmm. back and took in that moment. But on my drive home, I was just thinking about what it meant to them, you know, and, mm-hmm. it, and what, how that was the closest I was ever going to feel to what they felt. You know, it's going to be nowhere near, but that's the closest I'm going to get. And through my camera, through what I've recorded and what the piece I was going to edit, other people are going to get the same feeling that I got. Mm-hmm. That was my goal. And, 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 that's, and that's what I want at the end of the day. And that's why I want, you know, more diversity in higher positions. That's why I want, you know, voices of people that are black, brown, you know, people from the Far East, people from South America, people from, you know, all over to tell the stories, you know, that aren't going to be heard otherwise. These ideas need to be commissioned. These ideas need to be put at the forefront. Things are the way they are now, Um, you know, I think, you know, in recent times, there's been, you know, a lot more, I mean, Islamophobia, um, there's mm-hmm. been a lot more talk of racism and, you know, obviously you've got the Black Lives Matters movement as well. I mean, you know, that's just going off, you know, centuries of mistreatment, but, you know, even mm-hmm. today that exists. And empathy, that is the key thing. Empathy can unlock so much. You can, you know, change your your mindset from oh well no all lives matter and you know i don't really care about the movement and you know uh, it's it's not something i'm concerned about because i'm not going through it to oh you know what Mm. no we should do something about it this change that you're talking about the gear change it can happen and it will happen i'm very sure of that it's got to come from us it's got to come from yourself you know you doing this podcast it's got to come from me someone working in media who has the chance and ability to to have those voices heard Mm. and it's through that that we'll reach the next gear change we have the power we've just got to use it that's it wow that was that was very powerful man I, I, I feel, I, I, <laughs> no, really, really, bro. I, I, I felt the um when you were talking about the the two girls, the two Eritrean twins, and I was just you were describing it perfectly because in my head I'm thinking, yeah, imagine not hearing music and then you just feel it, like just feel feel it, and there's all these things going on. Yeah, that must be a madness. Wow. Yeah, you 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 really took me with you there on that on that story, um, and, and that's what that's what broadcast can do. That's the thing. That uh, I'm just saying it there, man. You know, but what we see on TV, man. Well, you know, what we're seeing online, these podcasts, you know, or whatever else, we have that opportunity. And you know, you're doing a great thing. What you're doing, and it's just about you, using that power, you know. And I'm glad you are. And it's honestly. I, I thank you. Like I, I know we're not done yet. <laughs> for getting me on anyway. Um, just it's oh, been a relief being able to just. I mean, like I said, I said this to you at the beginning of the conversation. You know, I work for the BBC at the end of the day, and so mm. 
you know, I have to be careful with what I say, but what I've said is pretty much the truth. You know, uh, there are areas of it that I am going to criticize because Mm. I'm not doing it to, to shit on the BBC. I'm doing it because I want the BBC to do better. I want media mm. to do better, mainstream media to do better. And you're only ever going to, you know, address these problems if you talk about it. Yeah. Facts. I, I, and I'm sure a lot of people appreciate that because, you know, I feel like there's sometimes there's a fear, especially when you work for something which is, you know, a large machine, a fear to criticise in case of, you know, uh, backlash and things like that. But I think um these these conversations are important and you can only get improvement if you're willing to look in the mirror or re- willing to look at these areas to improve without it you're not going nothing will ever change like you always have to assess things and 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 take stock and look at things and think actually you know what that was a bit of a madness you know these are the things we need these are these are the solutions in this area so we can address that and and reduce the amount of madnesses that happen here. Um, so no, I, I appreciate you um, speaking up on it because uh, it, it adds a lot of value, especially for people listening. And may, because there might be some people who listen and may have a certain opinion about the BBC and knowing that you're working there and, and, and that your mission, because in, in that last um, segment where you were talking about why, uh, you, you, you know, your purpose um, with broadcasting and, and to share stories of those that don't have a voice, I feel like that will resonate with a lot of people who may not have thought that these organisations even have people who have those intentions. So I think it's sick that you've been able to speak on it. And um, one of the things I really wanted to ask you, um, because this might be even even more relevant for maybe a few people that are listening to this, is for those people who want to get into... Um, the industry that you're in, in, in a big um, like media publication like BBC or, or others in a similar space who have quite a big platform to share their, share their stories and, and their opinions internationally. Um, w- would you give them any, or what kind of advice would you give people who are trying to make that impact if you can? Obviously we know that your story had you know, some levels of opportunity, some levels of serendipity, it was kind of a, a mixed bag, but if someone could do as much as they could intentionally, what, what would you advise them to, to do? Um, so if you, if you want to get into journalism, if you want to get into broadcast, I mean, there's the obvious route of, you know, applying for schemes, going to uni and whatever else. That can only, you know lead you in certain directions um, uh, it's, it's a great opportunity to get in but otherwise if you haven't got that then there's there's a couple of ways you can go about it i mean there's this one guy on the team oz he what he did is he worked in finance earned big bucks you know he was doing well and then he was like nah this ain't it and so <laughs> he left and he wanted to get into into tv and eventually to journalism <coughs> He watched all of his favorite shows, his new shows and whatever else, took down every single person of importance in the credits, found their details online, made a spreadsheet in Excel, put all their details down, the email addresses, um, the status report, like, you know, whether or not he's contacted them or he's men out for coffee. 
and he's he he's met him up and actually he's done this very well actually and i've advised this to other people because what he did is great he doesn't ask him for coffee to talk about how they can get into the industry he says can we get a coffee so i could you know find out more about your journey into journalism play the ego man journalists got egos you know just yeah, <laughs> let's talk about themselves yeah i've done that here um and once you've done that you know in their stories you will find answers but also you know you can ask questions afterwards you, you've got to be a bit proactive if you want to get into the industry it is an industry about connections you know mm -hmm. and so it is about who you know and that's why you know you can argue there is some nepotism um and whatever else but mm. at the end of the day you know if you want to get into journalism you've got a network you've got to get a hold of these people have something to show don't just you know talk about it you know and, and say to someone i'd like to do it if i were you i mean and this is what i've done you know when i first started at asian network the way i went into doing digital videos for them is I said I could edit again, you know, I had a moment of fuck it. I'm going to say, yeah. And I had no idea how to do it. Literally just went on Google, went on YouTube, how to do this in this editing software, how to do this, spent an hour looking at that. I made a basic video. They were happy with it. And then just built from there, mm. go online, you know, look at reports, go on YouTube. There are people out there talking about how you can do a write up, how you can make your own little report. You know, even ask a journalist, you know, how you do one, build a showreel, you know, have something. And this is what I advise someone who's currently doing their qualification. She hasn't got anything at the moment um, in terms of, you know, in her portfolio, have something, have anything. If anything, it's more impressive if you've not done any training or have any qualifications, but you've got a report you made yourself. Look mm. at how they shoot it. Try and replicate that. You look at the questions, you know, think about the questions that would be asked, you know, ask whatever you can, edit it together in free software. See, all of this you can do with just your phone, you know. Mm. I, I can edit voice on here, which, you know, I'm doing at the moment. I can, you know, shoot amazing picture with a camera here. And then, you know, from there, it's just about putting it together. Bang, you've got a little report. It may not be much, but, you know, it's, it's something. And it's something you can do mm. for practically for free if you've got a phone. All that it comes from is an idea. You've got, you've got to get an idea of where you want to go. You can't just say, I want to go into journalism. Is there something you particularly want to report on? Do you want to, you know, um, talk more to black voices about, you know, their own stories and, you know, about maybe, you know, Grenfell or, you know, BLM or Windrush or anything like that? Or do you want to focus on sport, you know, and talk about, you know, um, player perspectives or transport? Yeah, you know, th th there's always, you know, an interest that you're going to have that's going to be more predominant than anything else. Identify what that is. Make a little report about it. Use that. Put it out there. Social media is a powerful tool. The amount of times I've seen people go viral for the littlest of things uh, is incredible. Mm. But even just putting it on there, you, you might get re retweeted by the right person. And, you know, <laughs> you know that, that presents mm. an opportunity. At the end of the day, you know, and, and you said it yourself, there are people out there in the BBC, in, you know, other mainstream media that do want to help, that do want to mm. bring, you know, different voices, more diverse voices, into you know the media and my boss is one of them people around me and my team they all are and you know whatever else i'm blessed i am truly blessed by a great team i'm someone mm. as well you will have allies you just need to plug at it don't get disheartened i'll be honest with you journalism is probably easier to get into 
um, in terms of breaking the barrier and actually talking to someone than it is, you know, if you were to apply a job in finance or whatever else, then you have mm. to go through official channels. With journalism, you can cheat a bit and you can go directly to the source and just say, listen, I, I want to chat. So mm. uh, I've said a lot there. I don't know if it's a lot of nothing, but at the end of it, um, play to the ego of journalists when meeting up with them. <laughs> You'll actually find a lot more answers in their stories than you will in questions that you mm. ask them otherwise. Um, have something, even if it's like a practice article or practice report or anything, do it anyway. If you are passionate about journalism, you're going to want to do it. So just mm. do it. You know, you've, you've done this podcast off the, you know, your own back. And you, at the end of the day, it, it just takes that get up and go to say, oh, you know what, I'm going to do this today. Don't be scared. Again, you might have mm. the fear. Oh, it might be not be good enough. No one's going to judge you. If anyone is judging you, that you, you haven't got any journalism experience, but your report shit. And, you know, they're, they're a dickhead. You know, you don't want their opinion. Mm. You know, if they're going to judge you for that, someone out there is going to say, oh, you know what, actually, they've done this. They've done it off their own back. They've never done any journalism before. I've got to rate that. I admire that. And mm. then from there, you know, uh, connections can be made and, you know, hopefully work will come of it. Um, but finally, I would say, look into what is not being told. I know it feels like with journalism, you've got a category for every bit of news out there. You've got sport, you've got weather, you've got um, whatever else. It's still not all done. You know, there's still so much out there. So many people, so many stories that are not being told. Just because it's not out there doesn't mean it's not interesting. It, it just may be an unfounded gem. So be as creative as possible and, you know, think about, you know, the people around you. Think about, you know, I don't know, maybe your mum's got an amazing story about how she got into the country or, you know. <laughs> Again, no. One second, we will be back. <laughs> Sorry, bro, oh. you cut out there a little bit. <laughs> Again. Fine, it stopped me because I was talking for too long. Ah. Uh, I was just, uh, yeah, so take your, you know, get out of your own shoes, look at it from the outside and think, okay, I see this as an everyday thing, but maybe there's something here. Maybe there's something yeah. here that would be interesting to everyone else. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, so it, a lot of it is just putting in the groundwork, man and you know being brave enough to talk to people it's intimidating i, I still like <coughs> i had people come up to me recently and say oh you're you know you're doing an amazing job in the bbc i can't believe you're talking to me um i i still don't understand that but then <laughs> i feel i'm in the beep i've been working there for four years now there are senior journalists that i talk to now and even my own boss that i'm just still a little bit afraid of and like ooh, you know it's so yeah it's it's fine. You're going to feel that, but you need to just go for it because, you know, ain't no one going to do it but yourself. So. Yeah, man. And while you've got the time to do it, you, you should just go, go have, man. I think that's a really big set of advice, especially the um, finding different stories angle. Cause I feel like there's, there's always a nuance to every story or, or things that you might think are done. There's always another nuance. Uh, I like to look at, um, you may not be a big fan, but um, AFTV Media. No! Nah. <laughs> I'm plugging them, I'm plugging them. Nah! So we, obviously, we had sports. Were you on there? there? I was on there a few years ago, yeah. A couple ah. years ago. Yeah. Um, 
they they found a way to break into sports journalism in a way that you know you would have thought the industry was packed out and they just came in with this new way of telling it and here they are yeah you're absolutely right man as much as like no matter what anyone personally feels at the end of the day they've made a massive success for it and yeah (sighs) (laughs) man amount of united fans liverpool fans going oh you aftv you love it huh you you like them do you hate wenger (laughs) but it's they've made a success for it you know i think who's it like uh dt uh and robbie and whatever else they've done stuff for Troops. the sun yeah Troops have done stuff as well he's got his own uh little deals going on and he's appeared on other media so mm. it's exactly as you say that's actually a perfect example of it yeah yeah so like uh you know there's they've they've started off something and then it's given them opportunities in traditional media, which maybe if they'd just done like the CV cover letter route, it would never have happened. So they just took the action and are now able to, you know, be in this industry. So that I think, yeah, that's a, that's an example of what you were saying. Um, so yeah, Omar, man, it's been, it's been, it's been a sick ride. I really enjoyed having you on, man. And, and, you know, I was excited to do this because obviously I've I've seen like you are the typical journey of someone who in the creative field who's not necessarily gone the specific route prescribed and gone on some like wacky journey that I've seen like first firsthand. So and I'm glad you're able to share a lot of those points about how it came to to be that you're in this position. And bro, like I, I'm. I'm excited to see what you do, especially because of the way you were talking about your mission, like the kind of stories that you talk about. Uh, for example, I'm definitely going to check out the um, the the Eritrean twins. Like, I'm going to search it up yeah, ASAP yeah, yeah. and watch and watch that one because I wasn't aware of that. I've, I've seen a couple, you know. I saw the reality show blind date. What was it? Love is quarantine. Oh, love is quarantine. <laughs> that was quite that was quite a funny one to, to watch. That was quite it funny. It was. <laughs> I was up until like five o'clock in the morning talking to these girls and they were, they were amazing, honestly. <laughs> it was just like again the work behind it, just the little edits, a little bit of effort. Uh yeah. even then, like this is the thing, you know, I've, I've got to say this as well. There's no set way of broadcasting there's no set way of how things appear on tv you may look at the news and you've got what was it people talking at this angle and you know talking to someone there this is the typical you know news angle that you'll get and you'll see on tv and you get a little aston here saying this is so-and-so omar meta from bbc click that is always the way to do it sometimes it's about you know little sound effects or filming things in a weird perspective and you know, think outside the box, experiment if you can, because at the end of the day, you know, all those things may work as the way they are. Like my boss said to me afterwards, not only did he love the package, but he loved the fact that I, you know, edited little sound clips of myself or sound effects of like love hearts and stuff or whatever. It just ups the production value. Yeah. Put in that extra effort. Just, you know, go <laughs> ham with it, man. Honestly. Sorry, I keep going on. You're just trying no, to finish bro. up. No, it's it's cool, man. You're dropping gems, man. You're dropping gems. You know the bit I like? It was the fact that you put on the shirt and the tie and all that, but you still had the shorts on. <laughs> and you, then you kept the shorts in the car. I'm like, bro, yeah. you might as well just banged out the vest. I thought you were doing a webcam 
date, which is why I thought, okay, yeah, but it was just like, uh, <laughs> nah, man, I yeah, just wanted to, uh, I'll be honest with you, and that's the thing, you'll get a lot of journalists that will take themselves seriously, and that's calm, you know, you, you can mm. do a good job, it's, it's good. I have no shame. If I'm going to laugh at myself on camera, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to laugh, I'm going to make a thing of it. Yeah. yeah. So, it, it was, yeah, that, that was good. Um, I'm wearing shorts now, I won't stand up and show you, but... <laughs> No, I'm saying yeah. it's it's boiling, so it's a necess it's a necessity, <laughs> necessity, man. Um, yeah, bro, it's been it's been it's been sick having you on. Um, what what things are you excited to work on in the near future? And also, where can people find you? Obviously, we've mentioned BBC Click quite a few times, so they'll probably see you there. But yeah, what what things are you excited to work on that are coming up? And where can people find you to, to see those things, bro? I mean, I've got another couple of reports coming up. They're nothing, you know, as big as what the Influencer episode was. Like, you know, I'm looking at virtual Ooh. reality. I'm looking at um, e-scooters again, um, like I did last year. That's my first yeah. EP click. Um, I've got, hopefully, some big ideas that will, you know, start developing yeah. soon. I'm hoping so. But until then, uh, and, you know, if anyone does want to check out any of my work uh, yeah. on Twitter at Omar Metab or on Instagram at Omar underscore Metab uh, or even on YouTube, just type in BBC Click and then we've got, you know, a few episodes in there, well, all of them that you can check out mm. uh, on iPlayer. And you know what? Just even if you want to get a hold of me, like DM me or something, even if you want a piece of advice or, you know, you want me to, you know, give you some feedback on something i don't mind um dm me or just email me omar.metab at bbc.co.uk and um, i'll be more than happy to help honestly so that's wow. no thank you so much man um you heard it there guys if you if you want to reach out to the boy he's giving you all the contact there's no excuse now i want to hear omar tell me yo bare people have asked me for coffee so they can hear my story now Bear people, I'm, I'm getting taken all over the city. I'm getting taken all over the place. People want to hear me chat. <laughs> uh, I'm an introvert, man. I've loved this lockdown, but yeah, uh, that's the one thing I've got to admit. Not meeting people has been fantastic. I don't know about you, but <laughs> if what more people want to meet up, nah, I'm just, I, I, listen, if I can chill at home in my shorts and not bother, like, I, I'm, I'm golden. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm more than happy to meet with anyone, honestly. Well, whenever, you know, you're comfortable, when the pandemic's over or whatever, even if it's a Zoom, wherever it may be. And that's great, man. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much, uh, Omar, for, for joining us today. Um, for everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, it's been another sick episode. I know I'm going to have a lot of fun listening back. The little cuts I'm going to get from this, yeah, they're going to be hard. They're going to be hard. Trust me. <laughs> All right, everyone. Take care. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>